Welcome to our weekly, and we mean weekly Wednesday night shir, dedicated to Nishmas, Nachman Yaakov and Sihirsh. Here's the Shama Havan Aliyah. And be a good to better for his family. Call Yisrael. Um, the Shabbos Pash Kiseitze. Oh, I'm pretty nice. Shh. Kiseitze, I'm a choma, Livecho. Wow. But Kiseitze finished off. Zachir. Pash that we read on Shabbos Pash is Zachir, which is. Zachar is the Shas of the Malik, but there are the Tzitzchan Mitzrayim. Remember what a Malik has done to you when you left Egypt. Um, beginning and the end of the Pasha both need to be discussed quite diligently. Mirat Hashem. Sirfka, turn it back on, please. Interesting. Key as you will go out to battle your enemy. Enemy, of course, making reference not only to the enemy out on the field, but the spiritual enemy as well. Hey, share. Can I ask you one? I didn't hear you. Thank you. Within our own human body, there's a war waging on a constant basis. The spiritual enemy known as Nefesh Bahamas. Nefesh HaShenis Shev Yisrael. The Nefesh Bahamas, with its animalistic tendencies, constantly battling, constantly confronting everything that we do and we try to do. Terror is not telling us to destroy the enemies. Terror is telling us to take captives. We have to devote though, our worship to God. the mission which we came to this world for needs to be needs to be accomplished and many hurdles are faced many hurdles are put forward before us many stumbling blocks 
placed by the Yitzhahara. This effort is also referred to as a war. The Yitzhahara is very unhappy to see the mission which the Jew has embarked. is very determined to deter him and to stop him. But Terah tells us it's a battle. And it's going to be a difficult battle. But says the Terah, I guarantee you victory. If you go out to work, if you go out to war, if you set yourself, you set your mind to it, to go to battle your inner enemy, it doesn't say, if you'll battle, you are going out on this mission. You are going out on a mission to transform that inner, inner, inner enemy and to take him and to conform, that he should conform to Adrabah. To join the mission and to even help you with the mission of Teda Aveda and completing your existence, the reason for your existence on this world. And David says, I will deliver them into your hands. Won't vanquish. Not destroying. We're going to deliver them. We're going to take captives. You're going to redirect the energy of this Yetzirah. And you're going to get him to become a Yetzirah. You're going to get him to join forces with you. And this will ultimately succeed in extracting every single spark that lies dormant for the service of Hashem in this physical world in a greater degree than you were capable previously because the Yetzirah too will help you along. This parish is always read Chedish El. The month of El, the month that precedes Rosh Hashanah, the month that precedes Tishrei, which starts actually with Rosh Hashanah, goes into Yom Kippur and Sukkot. So a very interesting letter this week from the Rebbe, when someone was translating the Sikha of the Rebbe's, the talk of the Rebbe, the Rebbe says, there are many times in my talk that I reiterate things, to bring out the importance, the relevance of the idea. However, when you transcribe it, um, as per editor, it doesn't work. If you're a professional editor and you look at these words, you listen to the wording of which I'm speaking, you have a difficulty. You won't, it doesn't work. 
the repetition. And therefore you tend to cut back, and you don't get the full message which I'm re-delivering. Said the Rebbe to this person, in the future when you do so, and you transcribe a sikha of mine, any of my talks, please make note that I did not look this over. Because when I look it over, I see to it that my message is exact and precise the way I want it, to deli- it delivered. Now, it was interesting that I saw this letter because to me this is a personal message actually. And it wasn't a letter for me, it was somebody else that asked me to open up the Yizkadish. But I found this is a personal message because on a personal basis, when I'm asked to trans- translate sikhs or letters from the Rebbe, I'm adamantly against it. I won't do it. Scared out of my mind to try to venture. And it's indeed a very, very severe undertaking for a don't want to use the expression, but the mundane human being to undertake to translate the message of the Rebbe in a different language. Any given language. Whether it be English, Hebrew, Yiddish. Not Yiddish, actually. Yiddish is that much easier since Yiddish is the language which the Rebbe dictates and the Rebbe speaks to us in. Whereas, even more so, actually, that the Rebbe is speaking in Yiddish <coughs> is extremely important that one understands it and hears it from the Rebbe's words in Yiddish and understands the words of Yiddish. Because this is the message, this is what the Rebbe is telling us, this is what the Rebbe is relating to us. The Yetzirah has an interesting mission. He will come in Chaydish El on the eleventh day of Chaydish El, like it is today, and he will tell the person. First, he'll say Shalom Aleichem Rebid, how are you? And he'll tell him, listen here, I see. You're working diligently on your L. All the acronyms of L, you're working very hard on it. Beautiful. You're saying three capital extra a day. Of Tehillim, it's amazing. Says the Ezahara. You know what? Let's be honest. Eleven days is a long time. It's amazing what you did till here. But hey, 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 kick your shoes off. <laughs> Take a break. Slow down now. 
Really. You don't have to really overdo it. Don't exaggerate. After all, the whole year you weren't exactly a tzaddik. I'll tell you even worse. Hashem may not recognize you. He never acted like this before. You say, who is this guy? <laughs> We've told the story, I don't know how many times. The story of the old lady who was 80 years old. She had children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, Baruch Hashem. Hold this. And one night she goes to sleep and she has a dream. God comes to her in a dream. Sarah, he says to her, I guess Sarah was her name. Sarah, you did a wonderful job. You have been the, the model woman. The, the model Bas Yisrael. I can't praise you enough. And you raised beautiful children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, following the ways of the Torah. Sarah, I want to grant you a wish. One wish, anything you want. And she says, My father in heaven, I hear the sincerity of your offer. I would like to take you up on it. I have beautiful grandchildren and great-grandchildren whom I love and adore and cherish. But they're young. The grandchildren, not all of them, are married. And the great-grandchildren, not all of them, are the bar mitzvah even. Or bas mitzvah. Give me 30 years. Give me 30 more years of life to see my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren grow up, get married, have children of their own. No. Baby just says to her, Sarah, you got it. And the next morning she wakes up and she says, that wasn't a dream. It was real. The Abish just granted me 30 more years. Amazing. It's phenomenal. Uh, then she looks at her closet. And she says to herself, Sarah, you turned 80 and you said to yourself, yourself, how many more years are you going to live? You have a few dollars put away. Maybe they'll make a, a monument for you in shul. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll even make a safer in your memory. 
Maybe they'll buy tefillin for the grand grandchildren. Don't waste it on anything now. I'm going to buy new clothes, new wigs, new shoes. How long will I last? How long will I wear them? So for the past five, six years, I've been saying that. And I bought nothing new. But now I'm living 30 more years. Hey, I can't walk around like this for 30 more years. And these shmatas. And look, I'm looking in the mirror. I definitely need a facelift and Botox and whatever else they do. <laughs> Give me a break. And so, she takes to the phone. And she starts her invitations. Her, not invitations, her orders. And she places an order, thank you, by the shoe store. Everything online. She goes online for everything now. She's really into it. And she places orders. She buys clothing. She buys wigs. She buys shoes and stockings. She got a new getup. Now, unfortunately, as modern as the world is, and updated as the world is, as you may be listening to this year online, who knows where, had people in Asia listening to my shirim? People in Australia? I don't know where you're going to be listening to this year, but you see that modern technology can do. But one thing you can't do with modern technology, you can't get a makeup. Where's the rest of it? You can't get makeup. You can't have your face done up. You can't have your face, the treatments, the spa treatments. You need to go to the beauty parlor. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you who've dealt with this makeup situation, you might know it takes a few sessions. They have to prime the skin like a wall, they primer and they this and the ends. Same thing here. They put on this thing and they put this shmata and they put this rope and this and they smear you with this and they smear you with that and this is going on. It takes a few treatments. She's got to come back five, six, seven appointments for the full facelift that she wants. 30 years now. It's 30 years she's going to have to use this. She's going back to the beauty parlor every three, four days. She has her wigs done beautifully exquisite and her clothes, her new outfits are up to date. Modern and she's got a bag for every outfit, a few Gucci's and a few Pradas. And the day comes, the last matas come off, and her face is radiant. She looks like a a young woman. She walks out of the beauty parlor proud, like a peacock. Struts out to the street, and as soon as she gets to start to cross the street, a truck comes by, hits her, and kills her. <laughs> and she comes up to heaven. She's banging on the table, and I them. You promised me thirty years. I just wasted so much money. 
on the updos. I'm making myself look like a mensch for the next 30 years. You promised me 30 years, what happened? David hmm. looks at her and says, Sarah, that's you? I didn't recognize you. <laughs> she totally had a facelift. But these times, times don't get recognized. The Yitzhahara comes to you and says, Ginug Shain, stop pushing it so hard. Eleven days of El is enough. You got a whole bunch more days. You'll pick yourself up at the end of the El, the last few days in Slichas. You'll pick up the slack and you'll get back on track. But enough! What are we telling the Yitzhahara? Our message to the Yitzhahara is, I'm sorry, I'm at war with you, my friend. I'm not allowing this. I'm not giving anything up. I'm not moving an inch. And we said before that we say the prayer of Ludovic Hashem twice a day, because I'm going to, I think it's Fadim say three. Or we say it twice also, they say by Mayrev. Yeah, okay. We add, we supplement chapter 27, Chavzayin from Tehillim, in our daily prayers. Each, according to their custom, Chabad, Chabad custom is before, is after Shir Shayyim by Shachris and before Elena by Mincha. We find many different hints that hint in the Devar Shemedi to the preparation and to the month of Tishrei. A firstly reference to our Pasha Im Tokum Alayim Alchama B'Zeis Ani Beiteach and the Bezeis and the whole connotations of Bezeis we've spoken about many times. And we have the Yitzbineni Besukai, referring of course to Sukis. All different references to El and the Tishrei. And to Pashas Kiseitzi. But a very profound connection between the two comes to, comes to mind. What reference do we have that tells us that Pashas Kiseitzi has always read the Chodesh El? We read in Pashas Kiseitzi an interesting sequence. As you will go out to battle, not neged, not im, al. We translate it against your enemies. The Almighty will give in your hands. This is already a guarantee. As we said before. Vishavisa shivyoi. And you will capture his captive. So this goes into very deep explanation. The concept of the Shivyoi. 
Who is the captive here? Who is getting captured? But the Torah is telling us, let us say you were captured. You went, Alivecha, since Yetzirah is within you, your evil inclination is within you, you pounced upon him. And now there's a captivity involved. says the pastor continuing and you will see amongst the captives now let us bear in mind if you're sitting in Bismedish learning Torah davening, doing mitzvahs And your eyes are not wandering. You're not in the streets. Or in Chadr Chadorim. Looking at things that you have no business looking at. You have a much smaller chance of having what's called Machshav Azadis. I'm not telling you that you're going to be free of Machshav Azadis. Unless you become a complete tzaddik and you find only devotions, only dedications, tailor learnings, you're going to have your issues. Tell the tailor. Vira Isa Bashivya. If you will see, because you will look. then what's going to happen? You're going to have a yearning for her. You're going to want to marry her. And the Torah continues to warn us. But the Torah tells us a very interesting thing in order to see to it that you should be able to hold yourself back and restrain from ultimately actually marrying this girl. You have to let her, her hair grow, her nails grow, change her garments because the women used to come out, says Rashi, in beautiful garments to, so, to try to get the soldiers to sin with them. Uvachsa es avia yerach yomim. She will cry for her mother and for her father Yerach Yomim an entire month. The bitter crying ultimately, ultimately, she says, will make her ugly. We look at the 10th Pasuk in the Dover Hashem Eri. We too are crying in this month. For this month. This Yerach Yomim of Chedesh Elm. For my father and for my mother who have left me. This is a direct hint from the Pasha connection that the Yerach Yamim refers to the crying which we do in the month 
of Chaydish El, of the Avi Ve'imi Azavuni. This gives us the proper preparation that is needed in Chaydish El, preparing for the month of Tishrei. Last week we spoke about mitzvahs that you do by not doing. We spoke about karbonis. Mitzvahs that we can't do. So then how can we ultimately be complete if we can't do those certain mitzvahs? tells us the Torah correct. That is exactly the story. By not doing what you're not allowed to do, by not bringing a carbon in a place and in a time, in an era that you're not allowed to. You are doing the right thing. You're doing what the Torah tells us. This week the Torah tells us another interesting mission and mitzvah. <laughs> you will harvest in your field. And you will forget a bundle in the field. You may not return to take it, but rather it's going to be it be left for the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. Why? So that Hashem will bless you. And all that you do. Oof. Oof. I'm working so hard on planting, plowing, watering, making sure my field grows. I work even harder on cutting it down, reaping it, and putting it in bundles. But it's all worth it because ultimately the reward is I'm going to have Parnosa. I'm going to be able to live from this for the year. I will have my bundles of selling wheat. And I start to calculate how much each bundle is going to go for. $60 a bundle. It's a good ripe year this year. It's good, good product. Produce came out nice. $60 a bundle I'm going to make. Factor in all the work and all the time and the effort and everything else that has to go on with this. I'm making uh, $20 profit per bundle. But I have, Baruch Hashem, Kenai Nahara, I have a couple of hundred bundles here. But I gotta live off this for the whole year. So it's not, it's, it's a lot, it's gonna be a nice living, and we'll be able to look after each other, ourselves nicely. But each bundle counts. Every penny counts here. So I start to collect my bundles. And as I'm going down the row collecting the bundles, I look behind me and there's a bundle I missed. That's that's $60 retail. That's a big hit. I want to go back and get it. The tailor tells you, Loi Sashuv Lekachtri. Do not return to get it. But the tale is also telling you 
that when you do the field, you cut down, you'll gather the field, you will forget a bundle. Tata promises you that in the merit of leaving that bundle, Hashem, your God, will bless you in all that you do. Rashi observes this what the Torah is telling us. The promise, this reward for a mitzvah that came about unintentionally. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. I did not want to leave that $60 bundle behind. It's a retail value, but it's 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 profit of a twenty dollars, whatever it is. Who, who, who wants? I just worked so hard on putting that here. Why would I want to leave it here? Mm-hmm. It was definitely an accident. Tells us the Tata. Unintentionally, you've earned yourself a tremendous merit. Rashi then says, "I can conclude from this." That if a person drops a coin and a poor man finds it and the poor man gets food from this, the person that lost the coin will be blessed. You will have the mitzvah of tzedakah. I lost my money. I was not happy losing that money. But the poor man that found it and now lived from it I'm megalgal on you, says the Abish. I'm rolling the mitzvahs over you. The significance of a mitzvah that's performed without conscious, like we just said, without conscious intent, we look in the in Rambam, the Hilchas Gerashin, the laws regarding divorce. A husband, if the husband and the wife are not working out together, the husband is obligated to give the woman a divorce. If he refuses so, even though a get must be given willingly, sometimes, you got to watch out how you say it today because there's big problems with this, in today's day and age, unfortunately, because the authorities have muscled in on Besden. Sometimes, one may actually physically force, Besden may physically force this fellow, this uncooperative husband, to agree to give his wife a get. Until he says, I want. Ramam explains why is this effective? Because the genuine desire of every Jew is he wants to do mitzvahs. He doesn't want to hold himself back from anything. And he does also doesn't want to do avedis, do sins, prohibitions. So in truth, when he says under pressure Reitzani, he's really admitting what he really, really wants to do. He really does Reitzani. 
And the same is true when a person fulfills a mitzvah. Even if it seems he's doing it out of habit. Or for ulterior motives. What motivates him is ultimately the pintle yid and the sincere desire to do a mitzvah by every Jew. This desire to obey God's will is rooted in the essential nature of the soul. And therefore it can arouse in the conscious of mind and can influence a person's actions without the person even knowing it. And consequently, when a Jew unknowingly loses money, drops a coin, it's possible that his subconscious desire is possible to fulfill the mitzvah tzedakah. And therefore it caused him to drop this coin. And he was hoping that a poor person is going to pick it up and find it. And therefore he's credited with this mitzvah. Because the innermost desires of his soul wanted to do the mitzvah. Even though ultimately, bottom line, he's totally, totally unaware of what he just did. But the mitzvah is megalgul schusay. It schusim are rolled upon him. This is all the beginning of the Pasha, the war. Let's get out of the war. Let's go to another war. Let's go to the end of the Pasha. Pasik tells us, and this we read on Pasha Zacher, Zacher is Yaim, Zacher is Asha'asadacha, Molek, Baderach, Tseischem in Mitzrayim. The word Zacher has a Zakiv Godel. Not a Pazer, a Zakiv Godel. Which says, Zohar. It calls out a demand. It calls out a command to you. Remember everything that Amalek did. And then the Pasuk finishes off. Eradicate, wipe out, destroy the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. The Rabbeinu Bechayi says at the end of the Pasha B'Shalach the Sholol the spoils of battle against Amalek Hakon Yehoser Bahano it's all prohibited to have pleasure from to derive pleasure in other words not enough that you need to destroy the men that come from Amalek, but their money as well. And he brings a raya from this, from the Pasuk of Megillus Esther. And in the spoils they did not send their hand. Marachai warned not to have any kind of pleasures from Amalek. Terror warned him. Timcha Zechra Malik. Totally eradicate him. Ha. But Megillus Esther, Rashi explains 
Why did they not? Why were they not allowed? Why does Mordechai advise them not to touch this? That Achashvedes should not think. Perhaps they went to battle to get the money from the Goyim. And therefore, ain't it sad about him? He'll have a bad eye on the Jews. So Rashi is not telling us that there's a prohibition of taking the spoils from Amalek, taking memories from Amalek, taking memoirs. He says a total different reason here. He tells us because Achashvedes shouldn't think that that's why we went to war. So in that case, I'm sorry to be in but just the opposite. From Megillus Esther, we prove that you're allowed to have an from the money of Amalek. You're allowed to derive pleasure. And the proof in the Megillah itself, it says, Achashvedesh says, Hine base homonasati la Esther. I gave the home of Haman to Esther. Haman is Amalek. And Esther had his house. His spoil. His riches. Achreinim pushed this whole thing around. Different angles. One is that Achashverosh, first of all, took ownership of everything that Haman owned. Achashverosh did not stem from Amalek. Achashverosh, therefore, by becoming rightful owner of everything that Haman had, he purified, he elevated everything. And it was therefore not money from Amalek any longer. If you're keeping score at home, the Gemara Gitten Lamet Chesem and Aleph tells us, we couldn't take anything, but they were purified with Sichin. Sichin took over the parts of the land of Amin and Mayav. Since the Jews were not allowed to take from Amin and Mayav anything. And now they belong to Sichin, the Jews were able to conquer. So now we understand the simple explanation of the Pasuk. When he gave it to Esther, it still had Haman's name on it. But it didn't belong to Haman. In the Sefer Achinach, he writes, explanation, explaining this mitzvah, mitzvah 620, which is, which is, we're commanded to destroy the her, the entire lineage of Amalek. And to make his memory lost from the world. Zachar and Akeva, male and a female, God of the cotton. You should eradicate the memory of Amalek. In the Kal of Zecher, everything is there. And therefore, if you have a question 
when an Amalekite, uh, Amalekite comes before you, whether or not you need to kill him, tells the Tata, forget about remembering him, you have to kill him. And we get the same thing from the Rebbe. The whole mitzvah is to just plain eradicate Amalek. But also this is a little bit tough to understand. Because we know that by Shmuel Hanavi, Hashem commands Shaul HaMelech, Leich Bekisiz HaMelech, V'hamsim Me'ish Ad-Isha Me'il Ad-Yenik, M'sher V'atzeh M'gomel V'atchamer. Go out there, kill Amalek, and wipe everything out. Everyone and everything. When men, women, children, oxen, sheep, camels, donkeys, you name it. So within this mitzvah was also to destroy everything that lives connected to Amalek. And the Minchas writes, from the story of Shaul is not a proof. This is something that HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded only to Shmuel. Through Shmuel. We didn't get this as a generation to pass down this mitzvah. It was a moment, it was at that moment the way that it had to be done. And Rashi says it as well. They were magicians. And therefore, they, ought, they changed their bodies to look like animals. So it's explained from his words, not you had to kill all the Balichayim, all the animals and flock that they had. The commandment here was to kill all the men. Unfortunately, not only the men that were standing on two feet, but the ones that formed themselves into four-feeted animals as well. Rashi in our Pasha does not hold this way. But rather, Amalek needs to be eradicated at all times. No Amalek should even be mentioned, remembered, even through an animal. To say, these are Amalek animals. Even that should not exist. No memory Never mention of Amalek. So although the explanation in Nach is taught by Rashi, the commandment to kill the Balichayim of Amalek, it's a side thing. Because in the end, Saf Saf, it's not Pshutim Shaksuvim. It's not the simple explanation of the Pasuk. And therefore, in the explanation on the Teda, Rashi says even more. That should be according to the Peshat itself. Shouldn't even be mentioned on them the Zeichir Amalek. So in that case, what's the difference between Balachayim of Amalek? That we need to destroy them? And all the other properties that you're allowed to use. Because on the share it says this behemoth belonged to Amalek. So the animal and the house will say the same thing. This was a house of the Amalek. Why is that allowed to stay existing? An explanation is, of course, perhaps 
Because the Balachayim, the live animals, are not possible to change themselves. That they shouldn't look like they looked before. Or a way that they can re- that they can't return the, the way they created it. Because you're not allowed, of course, torture Balachayim to make them change their looks. So in that case, you can't change them. So now we understand. When the behemoth went out to the shuz of the Bali Chadashim, to the new owners, it's not shaykh, it's not possible to change the look of the animal. And therefore you'll see this is an Amalek animal. And by nature the person will say, this is an Amalek cow, this is an Amalek horse. In our case, when we take the behemoths of Amalek and you bring them to the Shusri cell, since you can't change them, you're always going to say, this is an Amalek animal. This is a memory of Amalek. But other properties, a house, a building, a field, you can change things there. Change things so that the first owners are not, will not recognize it themselves. Never mind, nobody would recognize belonging to the first owners. So you can wipe out a Malik. Because you're making all these changes. Therefore, nobody's ever going to mention this is a memory of a Malik. Another thing properties that don't have a life to them, not living things. People don't usually say, this is this person's house. It gets forgotten very quickly, that was this person's house, this one's house. Things get changed over the time. I walked down memory lane of the block that I grew up on, in Borough Park, Brooklyn. A few houses, I'll say, oh, that's this house, this house, that house mention names we were from the first few people that built that bought in the block so we watched as each house was bought each house changed hands so I could perhaps remember most of them were knocked down already and rebuilt into monstrosities huh. so it's totally beyond recognition and if you don't do an actual rec- change since it's possible to change them, so it's not the nature of the person to mention that this belonged to the person. Actually, the pen. The pen is yours. So the fact that we're not told, we don't have a commandment to take and to eradicate all the properties of Amalek, only the live things that remember, that we can remember Amalek through them, and therefore we have to wipe them out and destroy them entirely. Mashenkin, the actual physical properties. But the whole idea is a little bit troublesome. How is it possible to say 
that is expected to wipe out anything that will mention of a Malik. And it's a mitzvah to destroy all the living things, creatures of a Malik. Anything that a Malik would be referenced to by it. But the Tata tells us clearly Maskira Zechra Malik. How? By remembering his name. Remember all that Amalek did to you. So we're not forgetting Amalek. We're not wiping out and eradicating totally Amalek. We still have a memory. We're still leaving a memory somewhere. And it's possible to say, even when Mashiach comes, Amalek needs to be wiped out. It will always be a mitzvah say to remember. <laughs> I was talking to one of the uh, teachers that teach in our school, a woman actually, and mentioned this idea, and she had her, her insight on this as well of how to remember what Amalek did by destroying them. I told that mention what I said what she said by this year. Without her name. So we therefore are forced to know the difference between remembering Amalek, Loshan Zahira, which is Asr, between Zahira Samalek for eradication, which is a mitzvah. There's a mitzvah to remember what Amalek did to you, but not to remember Amalek himself. When a person leaves a a descendant from Amalek, or something that a living creature from Amalek, that's called Amalek, this is an Isser. This is a prohibition. You have to remember the Chiyuvi of Amalek. But when the Torah writes Zecher Amalek, there's a mitzvah. What is the whole mitzvah of remembering what Amalek did? So that you could properly eradicate them. A we used to, <laughs> as children, we used to do it as well. We'd write Amalek on the bottom of our shoes, Haman on the bottom of our shoes, and we'd walk around wiping them out. We'd be destroying them. So you're remembering Amalek to destroy it. They used to do the same thing. They used to write, carve it into trees, into stones, so that it can be erased. And this is the ultimate mission that we have to remember how to destroy Amalek. And of course, we said, always we say, we'd be amiss to learn Pasha Kiseitze and not say, Ki Yikori Kantzikor Lepanecho, talk about the Shmitzvah Shaluach Akan, the man Itavloch, the man Arachta Yomim, it will be good for you and will give you longevity. How so? Because when the mother bird 
dies to earth, crying about her children, my children. And the Malachim argue with the Rebbeinu Shalalim. What have you done to this poor mother bird? She's suffering without her children. The Rebbeinu Shalalim says, And when I suffer without my children, I don't have my children by me. Who is standing up to defend me? And then the Rebbeinu Shalalim remembers and thinks again about his children. And each time we bring the Abish's thoughts closer, we bring closer another step to Mashiach Tzidkenu, where the, then in the time of Mashiach will be the Man Harachta Yomim, the Man Yitavloch, the Man Harachta Yomim. And may we merit to that on this very Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom to all. And if you join me this year and you made a bracha during this year, don't forget to make a bracha achreina so that we can make the bracha achreina on the Golas. Shabbat Shalom to all.